This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today we have Patrick Dennis. He's the president and CEO of Aspect Software. And we have my co-host, Jamie Zaman. She is the founder and president of Titan CEO. Good morning and welcome. Good morning. Morning. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for taking time, Jamie, Patrick. I appreciate it. And we'll go right into it. Patrick, What? tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Yeah, thanks. So we are the leading provider of uh, contact center software and workforce management and optimization software for enterprises around the world. So four of the five top commercial banks are customers, three of the top four telecom providers, four of the top five tech companies, and six out of the six top airlines. And so you've interacted with our software, if, for instance, you've ever called Southwest Airlines to book a reservation. You've interacted with our software or the people that are behind our software if you've ever ordered anything off Amazon or Apple or from Microsoft. So that's really what we do. It's a pretty awesome job. There's about 1,300 people that work here, and we do about $300 million in revenue. Nothing well, to do. Keeps you busy. Yeah, that's, that's true. It definitely keeps us busy. <laughs> well, I'm excited, Patrick, that you are a 2020 Titan 100 for those listening in. Patrick was selected as one of Colorado's top 100 CEOs and C-level executives. We featured him in the Titan 100 book, which I'm holding up right now. And what I always ask every Titan who we interview on this podcast is, what characteristics do you believe that it takes to be considered a Titan of industry? So speaking from one Titan. Yeah. You know, Jamie, you ask me this question a lot. And for my little niche of what I do for a living, I think tenacity plays a big role. I think we'll probably talk about this today, but much of what I do involves turning businesses around or helping businesses that were at one time struggling. And if I think about my career and the arc of my career and what's helped me be successful recently, tenacity has played a really big role. It's hard to take on challenges like the ones taken on historically if you don't kind of just have the intestinal fortitude to want to to want to win and to kind of stick with it. And, you know, probably the second one is you need to be a little curious. So if you don't have that curiosity bug, it's hard to figure out what really went off, off track in a business. And so, you know, some combination of tenacity and curiosity have, have served me pretty well over the years. And just listening to you, Patrick, I completely agree with your curious statement there. I've witnessed or I've watched you in interviews interactions over the last, you know, months, many months. And I believe it's a part of your DNA. I always see you asking incredible questions. So it makes sense to me that you would say that. Well, for those of you that don't know, I help Jamie out in a board capacity occasionally with her business. And I find the best way to get Jamie a benefit is to ask her questions that she should have like contemplated the answers to. And so yeah, it's actually, that's been a really, really fun part about our relationship. I think it's fun, Jamie, to watch you kind of craft your business based on some of the answers to your own questions. So yeah, you have gotten to see that in action. That's true. Appreciate it. <laughs> so Patrick, we talked a little bit before the episode. You have an interesting journey from beginning to here. If you would share with us a little bit about uh, how you got started and what brought you to where you are now with your skill set. Yeah. So I think everybody's journey is interesting. Mine has like twists and turns like everybody else's. If I were to kind of start with the most important dot on the map, you know, I was a pretty average kid, grew up on a farm, went to school, had good grades, thought I was going to go to 
pretty big school when it came time to go to college. And my dad wound up having this heart attack. And so I stayed in Rochester. Father's fine. All worked out great. But it was kind of like one of those moments where the path was going in this direction and it wound up going over here. And that got me my, my kind of first job at Eastman Kodak Company because I was trying to figure out how to pay for college and make it all come together. And so I worked during college for the entire time that I went to college. And that really matters in this story because at the time, Eastman Kodak Company was a really, really good company. And so I got some great kind of training and education and baseline education from a real like world global workhorse powerhouse brand. And I think it's really important in my journey that there are these kind of bricks laid with these really successful companies. Kodak was the first, followed by EMC and then Oracle. And that's what gave me the experience and the confidence to go on and do bigger and different jobs. And so, you know, I learned M&A, for instance, while I was at EMC, I learned turnarounds and restructuring at EMC and at Oracle. And I've taken all those lessons from some of those big, very successful global companies and kind of merged it into my own practice in smaller settings. And, you know, the famous line when I became a CEO was, I known a gentleman for a while and he had said, hey, you know, I'd really like, like you to be a CEO one day. And so he calls me out of the blue and he says, hey, I've got a great first CEO job for you. It's a public company, which is unusual. It's in Southern California, also unusual. And, you know, they need some help. And, you know, I think, uh, just like you to remember, nobody's first job is Coca-Cola was the exact line. It's like, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a really interesting sales pitch. Nobody's first CEO job is Coca-Cola. <laughs> and off to Southern California, I went, we did some real work on a company called Guidance Software, turned it around and ultimately sold it to OpenText. And then took that skill set, moved into private equity. And uh, I worked with Vector Capital as an operating executive. And this morning, Bob, you introduced me as a president and CEO of Aspect Software, which is true. I bought Aspect Software with Vector Capital in February of 2019. And so these days I really partner in private equity to buy companies and, and do what I do, just try to get them uh, moving in a good direction, which we've been in, been lucky enough to do here with this one. That's kind of the tips of the waves in the journey. It's been uh, been pretty incredible and pretty awesome. There's definitely a pinch of luck uh, involved in all this. You know, couldn't be happier or more blessed to do what I get to do. Awesome. What a cool journey. And, you know, they say that everything happens for a reason. So that yeah. seems to be the same thing for you. So... I'd be curious to know what you think is your most important role as a CEO and other CEOs listening in can uh, learn from your experience. Yeah, that's a, that's a really kind of deep and insightful question. So I, I guess this is how I feel about it. If you're a CEO, your role will change over the arc of you being a CEO. And so maybe when you start on day one, there's real work that needs to be done around the culture or the values of the company so that you can start to get performance. And then maybe later in your journey, you need to be the person that's really thinking about mergers and acquisitions. And so sometimes I think this word gets diluted. People oftentimes say the CEO has to have vision. And I think that that always kind of has the sensibility that it's a distance that's far away. And my experience has been quite the opposite. I think the CEO does need to have vision but by the way, sometimes there's fog and vision is three feet in front of you. And sometimes it's a clear day and you can't see for miles. So I think the role of the CEO changes 
with the environment that's going on at the company and what your objectives are. And, and then you have to be the person that's willing to make those modifications and those changes and really lead from the front or the company's not going to follow you. And so, you know, I think the most important thing you do in a CEO job is offer leadership. That leadership needs to be aligned to some amount of vision, whether that's near, near term or long term. And you've got to help everybody kind of march down the path. Like at its core, I think that's the job. And you have to be flexible enough to kind of move with it. And then you also have to be, you know, you have to be humble enough to know when you know what to do, but you don't know how to do it and make sure you got the people around you to help you when you're in that phase. That's kind of how I think about that. You know, I, we were talking a bit earlier and I think about as you've gone through your career, you come to various areas and you're faced with problems and then you come into a company that is a turnaround situation. Like day one, when you arrive at the company, what's your process over the next end period of time to start trying to assess pushing your vision out, finding where the problems are and solving and moving forward? Yeah, so there certainly are some phases and it does start with a drive towards stability. So one lesson learned is if you're in a situation and it's messy generally for whatever set of reasons, right? Not reflective of aspect necessarily. This, is, this answer is more how it approaches situation generally. You first need to figure out how you're going to make it stable, whatever that means financially stable, maybe you have to get the personnel to be stable because there's too much turnover, maybe the product isn't working and you need product stability. First thing you got to figure out is what's going to drive stability. And it's a super narrow, you got to get it down to a super narrow band answer. And then you just got to go make that happen. And like almost nothing else matters until you get that done, right? Then when you get that done, you got to flag and declare some amount of victory. Typically try to call that a battle, not the war and then pivot people to whatever is the next step. The next step is almost universally defined by two things. What do you do for your customers, and do you really understand it? And what is the core of the company, and do you really understand that? And, like, those two questions seem really, really easy. you got to, like, click on that question 10 or 15 times, each one of them, until you get down to some very precise, actionable nugget of what you really do for a customer. And then you got to do the same thing to really understand your company. And if you find those two things, and by the way, my experience is when I describe the situation as messy, if I said there's two important things in my office back here, but if my office was a big mess, it'd be a hard thing to find the two things, right? So the reason why that step's so important is it's hard to find those little nuggets when it's a mess. And so you got to push and push and push until you find them. Then when you pick them up, you can say, okay, this is what we're going to do in the next step. We're going to focus on these couple of things. We're going to focus on what we really do for customers exceptionally well, and we're going to use this part of the company that's truly exceptional, and that's where we go from here. That's step two. Step three, you figure out after you're done with step two. So step one and step two are pretty consistent. Your phase three, that depends an awful lot on the company. Triage. It's totally triage. It's exactly right. When people, like I have a good friend who is a uh, doctor and deals with skiing accidents because Jamie and I live in Colorado, so those types of things happen. Well, she never and, falls. She never yeah, falls. No, never. 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 Says who? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Anthony is uh, one of the people that understands me the best because when somebody gets in an accident and, you know, he winds up in the ER, he goes and tries to figure out what just happened to their knee, leg, whatever, 
it's the same thing for me. You know, when you first show up, you got to figure those few things out that we just talked about, and then you make a plan and you, you know, act against the plan. You've got a lot of experience in this area, obviously a corporate transformation expert. I have to ask you, Patrick, or maybe you can share with us just a little bit. I'm sure you've experienced lots of crazy stories or things where you've come in and seen something that was a mess or a big issue and landed on your lap and you had to figure out how to navigate that. Could you give us an example or share a story of one of the biggest challenges or issues that you worked through? Yeah, I guess we'll go into the history books for this one. So <laughs> so when I was running guidance, one of the tricks was we needed to do some major restructuring at the company, and that was going to be pretty complicated. And uh, to make a long story short, we went up in this thing called a proxy contest, which basically means somebody from the outside world thinks they can do a better job running the company than management. All right. And so all of a sudden, everybody starts to accumulate all these shares and it leads up to a vote. And basically, somebody's either going to vote you in or out when you go through this. And I oftentimes say that it is like the most well-funded divorce that's ever happened, right? Because there's businesses involved, so everybody's got money. So there's somebody's lawyers and somebody else's set of lawyers putting out information every single day about you and your business and why the business should be taken over by somebody else. All right. And, you know, if you think about that, that's pretty terrible to begin with. And then on top of it, you're running a business. So guidance we did, I think we went eight for nine on revenue quarters and nine for nine on EPS quarters. And we did that all while we were in the middle of a proxy contest with external pressure from these folks that thought they could do a better job. And there's just like so many lessons learned along the way. Like that goes back to like this idea that you have to be tenacious and you just can't give up. Like you have to just have the will to win. And there were a lot of people around me that worked really, really hard during that time and some really unusual conditions to get out of that mess. And then uh, sometimes you find, and this is maybe like the little nugget for everybody, turns out if you've ever owned a stock, you try to get to vote and you get to turn in your vote. Well, believe it or not, if you ever have to split your vote, you actually have to go take the second half of your vote and you have to deliver it in person. No one does it anymore, right? And so... When you get into some of these unusual situations, you find that there's some pretty arcane processes and details that still exist in the United States business framework. And so this one was a challenge because it's hard to run a business when you got a bunch of distractions and disruption, and you're kind of dealing with some old practices that nobody knows about. But in the end, we won. You know, I guess in, in the end, that's kind of all that matters. But that was an interesting and hairy time. <laughs> wow. Incredible. More relatives at the table than you ever really wanted. You yeah. know, I, I, I think about, you know, they, they talk about, you know, whether you're, you're selling your business or doing what you were doing, you know, you, you have this incoming, some planned, some unplanned, and then yeah. you've got the rest of everything you're supposed to accomplish on the course of the day. Yeah. What did you do to shift from incoming to focus? Was there a technique that you use or something you learned? Yeah, so there's a bit of a, there's a strategy here, right? So those two things are not necessarily at all alike in terms of what work needs to be done, right? And so, Bob, you shared with me, you're an old military guy. So, you know, think of that old, as like two Old is the operating word, by the way. Uh, not judging. <laughs> <laughs> so think of that as two battles, and the two battles have to run concurrently, right? So if we're going to win the war, we need to win these two battles. And really, the team that was working on the outside work we structured to go win the outside work. And then we had a team structure on 
effectively running the company. And to some extent, what I wound up doing was I knew I was going to have to participate in both of these. I basically had what almost was treated like a co-CEO on each side of that ledger. And so I really took a guy named Barry, who was at the time my chief financial officer. Barry really kind of ran the core operation day in and day out while Michael and Alfredo and I worked on what needed to happen externally. And Barry trusted Michael Alfredo and I to kind of get this part done. And Michael Alfredo and I trusted Barry to kind of keep an eye on the operation. And so we had to go distributed to kind of do both of those things at the same time. But it's a great example of why at some point as a CEO, you need to make sure you have people around you that are better than you at whatever it is they do. Because when these kind of critical moments come up, you need to be able to draw on the team. And if the team isn't there already, you're not going to have time to build the team then. So you got to build the team in advance of the time where something you know, goes haywire, which is a pretty big lesson learned. These days, I typically have a new management team in place within the first week. And I think that's an important step to getting on the right path, whatever that means in whatever business, whatever situation it is. Every question that we throw at you, Patrick, it seems like you always have these really well-structured game plans for how you're going to block and tackle every single situation. I have to ask, where do you find the motivation? Yeah, it's funny. You meet, you know, you look around your team and they all have different things that drive them, right? Some, for some people, it's their family. And for some people, it's money, it's compensation, right? So what I've found for me is I just tr- keep trying to accumulate experiences that other, other people haven't had. I don't know why uh, that is like switches me on so much, but every time you know, something gets knocked down that was on my list. I'm like, well, let's go try to find something else, right? So, you know, a couple of examples already came up. Like I wanted to be a public company CEO someday, you know, check, wanted to sell a public company one day, check. And so every time I kind of, I, we use the, the word waypoint in the pre-call. Every time I kind of get to one of those waypoints, I set another one or two out there. Usually one's ridiculous, but it keeps you kind of moving toward, you know, whatever that goal is. By the way, if you had said when I was born on a farm, I was going to be a public company CEO and sell a public company one day, that waypoint felt <laughs> felt way out there at that time too. Unlikely outcome, right? From Rochester, New York to that. So I just keep setting them, Jamie. And, you know, all of us Coloradans like to hike. I think we've all experienced this on a big hike. You sooner or later look up the hill and say, I just got to make it to that tree. And then I got to make it to that rock. And next thing you know, you know, you're on the top of the mountain. So just keep trying to set the waypoints and stay on the march. And probably the last thing I'd say about this is you got to stay humble because I'm in no immediate danger of being Jeff Bezos. So like, you know, there's always somebody that's done something better than you or bigger or whatever. And so if you kind of stay humble along the way, I think you can just get further down that path. Makes any sense. Yeah. I love your mindset. You know, if I was the CEO of Coca-Cola, though, I'd be looking in my rearview mirror, just saying. Oh, uh, no, man. I wouldn't know how to do it. It's, that's what's so funny is, um, so when you're a CEO, just let you in the mind of somebody in the chair, you are relentlessly hit with Forbes articles or Harvard Business School reviews, and there's always these case studies on CEOs that have done amazing things, right? And during my first you know, a few years being a CEO, I would look at those and think to myself, like, you do a natural comparison. I think anybody would. 
and you think like, oh, I'm no, I'm nothing like that person. And is that like what I'm supposed to aspire to do? In one stage, HBS came out with an article about CEOs and said that there's archetypes of CEOs. And that oftentimes the ones that are what I would call a run CEO, Coca-Cola, for instance, those are the folks that you see, you know, in mass media and are kind of more kind of almost celebrity-like in their role. That is not at all what I do. And I kind of just got comfortable with the fact that my archetype is to help companies get themselves back on track. And one of the trade-offs is I'm never going to do any of that stuff. I'm never going to run Coke. I wouldn't know how to, right? And it's funny, and no offense to the current Coca-Cola CEO meant here, most of those large company CEOs could never do my job. So, you know, I found my little lane. I figured out how to do it. And it's got its own set of character attributes, you know, most of which I really enjoy because I like a new challenge and I like to keep a fresh pace, as Bob said. There's a lot of movement that's happened in my career. I couldn't imagine doing it in another way, though. Really couldn't. You know, I would, there's an old thing in the military. There's the combat commander, and then there's the garrison commander, and yeah. they are not the same thing. Yeah, that's right. That's not the same role, right? You know, and they're appreciated in different environments. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And by the way, you know, that's part, something we didn't touch on. Like, there is a natural time for me to no longer be a CEO in a company. Because if I do my job really well, then we've put a company in a place where you need something different than what is my core skill set too. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of part of the arc and what I think probably makes me a little bit different than some of the folks that, you know, are almost, and I say this with like the utmost respect, it's a very, very hard job. If you're given Coca-Cola or McDonald's, you're really a steward to that brand and to that company. And I think when you use the word steward or stewardship, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes along with that. And the expectation is that it happens over a long period of time. My level of stewardship is very different, right? I'm in the uh, emergency room, as we discussed, and I need to get somebody safe. So it is funny for as much as like the skill set is unique and you folks are being very sweet and kind drawing that out. There's a time where that skill set actually ends and the company should go kind of in a direction with somebody that probably has a higher level of stewardship than I have. Different phase of the S curve, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, well, I love hearing, Patrick, you talk. Obviously, tenacity is all over it. The curiosity that you have, leaning into change. You are so comfortable with the change. I think it's all of these things combined that clearly make you a titan of industry. We appreciate so much you being here with us today. And so just one last side note here, any passions that you have outside of what you do in your company? Because we know that that's your passion. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty delinquent in this, in this answer. Usually somebody has, has some great answer for this. I do enjoy cooking. And so, you know, trust me, if you get stuck in my house for dinner on a Sunday, it's not terrible. So I really do enjoy cooking. And then I enjoy racing cars, which is as often as I can. It's been less frequent since we got to Colorado, but do enjoy watching automotive racing and participating whenever I get a chance. Love it. I'll have to take and change my background <laughs> on that comment. That's an E36 BMW M3, isn't it? Yep, GTS3. Uh-huh. There you go. That's My partner races that. Oh, that's awesome. I love that car. That was my first BMW. Not GTS, but E36 M3. At the time, I thought I had arrived. I bought mine in Dracar Yellow, 
at an age when a young man buys a sports car and your car yellow. <laughs> My, I was a second lieutenant with a 911. I have no right. idea what I was doing. Right. But That's in any right. case, you know, to be respectful of your time, first order business for people to find you on social media, how do they find you? So it's my name, Patrick Dennis, with underscores before the Patrick and the Dennis. That's on Twitter. All right. Perfect. Well, can't tell you how much I uh, appreciate you sharing portions of your journey and story and wisdom. Looking forward to hearing uh, much more news about you conquering the next thing as well. So, and Jamie, as always, anything that uh, you would like to add before we close? Yeah, for those of you that are interested in learning more about Patrick's story, you can visit www.titan100.biz and you can check out all of the 2020 Titan 100s. You can find Patrick's profile there. You can read his bio, his profile on our website. And you can also go to our page to download a copy of the Titan 100 book, or you can purchase a copy if you're interested in that. And again, that's titan100.biz. We're so excited to continue to bring stories of Colorado's top 100 CEOs and C-level executives, these really incredible titans of industry. Thank you so much for being here with us, Patrick. It's been awesome interviewing you. You guys are great. Bob, thank you for the time. Jamie, always good to see you. Appreciate you, uh, you folks carving out a couple minutes for me this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you guys take care, and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye now. Thanks, all. Cheers.